0: what is up everybody welcome to episode 21 of the value adds value podcast what's up my name is kyle krieger thank you for tuning in to this episode where wilkie and i uh, welcome dr sean woodley of teach hustle inspire uh onto our podcast to have what is one of the most genuine and fun uh conversations about education that we've had yet um his perspective is really, really interesting, and we really appreciate appreciated it as he is a college professor that's working with the pre-service teachers, and, and the insights he brings into what those teachers need and how it translates to our day-to-day classrooms is immense. And he's also incredible at knowing what urban kids need, so we really enjoyed This conversation. This is part one of a two-part series because we talked for almost an hour that we don't want to bog everybody down with listening to a ton right away. So tune in next week to see part or to hear part two, excuse me. But if you want, go follow Dr. Woodley, Teach to Inspire everywhere online. And if you wouldn't mind, hit the subscribe button, give us a rating, write us a review, share the podcast it mean the world to us and as always you can find us online at value as value now without further ado dr sean woodley and hey. inspiring, teachers.
1: inspiring teachers that's our how to you're listening to value as value inspiring teachers, inspiring teachers. that's our how to that's how yeah. you're listening to value as value get it uh. uh. yeah. Value. Uh. Uh. value as value uh. get, uh. get. Uh. get. And, Inspiring teachers. Inspiring teachers. That's a how to. You're listening to Value Adds Value. Inspiring teachers. Inspiring teachers. That's our how to. You're listening to Value Adds Value. value. Uh. Get it? Uh. Get it. Uh. Value. Value. Uh. Uh. Value Adds
0: Value.
2: Uh. 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 Welcome back to the Value Adds Value podcast. My name is Kyle Krieger. I got my guy Wilkie V Law III on the horn today. Will, what's good?
1: What's going on, what's going on, man? You see, I'm still representing the Rockets, even though we're out. Still got to rip my Rockets. Still Right,
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Still,
1: still kind of hurting from, from last night's loss, but hey, you know, James Harden said it best. You know, we know what we need to do. We'll get after it this summer and come back. That's, That's it. Don't make any excuse. Just, just, just make adjustments. So
2: <laughs> Right. All right. Awesome. Well, we're, we're pretty excited. This has been a few weeks in the making this podcast. So, uh, well, I'm, I'm going to let you take the floor to introduce our, uh, guest today that we're, I, I, I gotta say we're both, um, we both been very, uh, moved by the the work he's doing, especially on his podcast. We, we love, especially connecting with other podcasters. So we'll go for it, man.
1: All right. Well, today we have the, the amazing pedagogue, uh, <laughs> Dr. Sean Woodley, who is here joining us, and I'm. I, I, when I say I first discovered you, um, I think it was one of the Teach Hustle inspires I saw uh, someone posted, and and I was like, hey, who is this? What is this? And I went there, and I was like, whoa, wait a minute! I've been missing out on a whole segment of <laughs> of of, of uh, professional development and personal development because once I started listening to the podcast, man, I was like, this really has First off, let me just give a little backdrop. I, I'm new to urban education uh, okay. in the sense of teaching kids that look like me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I primarily taught with uh, with a huge Latino, Hispanic uh, background. And so when I was moving into this new space, I was looking for people to connect with who had knowledge of it, because even though they look like me, it doesn't mean that I know how to relate to them. Uh, and so I discovered you, man, and, and I tell you that this year, I can say now it's been made better because of you. So, man. Um, and I can say just listening to the people, that, the guests that you brought on uh, that really kind of give us that, that insight. So I'm excited to have you here, Dr. Sean Woodley. And uh, just welcome, man, welcome. welcome. Man,
3: first, first of all, that, that was probably the most magnanimous introduction I've <laughs> ever heard, man. Um, I am I humbled, like truly. I, you know, you guys know I rock with you guys. I, I love the energy. I love what you are doing and I'm I'm always happy to converse with good fellow educators. I can talk this stuff forwards and backwards
1: all day every day.
3: I mm-hmm. I'm Absolutely. just glad to
1: be here and I I appreciate you all having me. I I really really do. Absolutely, man. We appreciate you being here. So, for our listeners who don't know you, sure. can you share a little bit about your uh, your backstory to your listeners and kind of how you got into the education profession?
3: Sure, sure. Um Young Sean wanted to go to school to <laughs> to be a musician, and I I was a am a drummer by nature. Um, everything that I did at an early age had in some way, shape, or form to do with music. So you know I, I was the band geek dude uh, on the drum line and so forth. And so you know I, I got some wise words from my one of my music teachers as a high school student. I I I wanted to play for you know Michael Jackson. I wanted to play for Usher. Crisscross. I wanted to be the guy on the drums for them, but couldn't do that. He said, make yourself a little bit more marketable. He said, instead of just studying music, study music education. And so just add that that teaching component to it. Best advice I ever got. And so I studied music education, did a five-year program at Hampton University, and so came out 100% certified and started teaching and loved it. Um, I I really, really did. And I spent... 10 years, I spent 10 years teaching in urban schools. I taught in Virginia and then I taught here in Atlanta uh, before I started teaching at the college level. And it was really just, uh, and it was a growth experience from day one and it was just a, a journey that I learned a lot from and where I started to kind of branch out and and escalate a little bit is that while I was teaching, I kind of had a side hustle as a DJ. And so I would literally, especially like on Fridays, I would come to work with my turntables in my trunk and I would go from the classroom to the club, literally. And I would go there and just, I mean, I'd rock out in the classroom and then I'd rock out in the club and it was tiring, but it was so much fun. It really, really was. But what a light bulb just kind of started to flicker and emerge because I started to notice a correlation between what I was intending to do in the classroom versus what i was intending to do with participants for whom i was dj oh. uh, you know i i was the source of motivation in the classroom i was a source of motivation as a dj i was the reason that you needed to engage in the classroom i was the reason that you needed to engage in the uh, in the club environment and so i really that's where my book came from oh. i kind of created a model and merged those two thought processes Um, To create a model that really can help educators in the classroom to really learn to bring the most out of their students And I I began teaching soon after at the college level Um, I teach specifically classroom management and student engagement and I work with a lot of schools and districts uh, Particularly in urban and culturally diverse areas with those two topics classroom management and student engagement
1: Mm Oh right, man! And there was a
3: lot
2: to take in. I was, I was gonna say, like right at the beginning, like you know, we could almost have our own marching band here because I I played low brass. Nice. Will Will was a drum major, so we would have. That's (laughs) why I always said the essentials were there. Like I don't care about you know the high brass or any of the woodwinds. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry to all you woodwinds out there. You're not
1: that important. Nice. Nice. And don't, I can go get my daughter upstairs, and bring out a French horn. I mean, we've been
3: yes.
1: she's been she's been challenging me to brush off my chops as a trumpet player and been okay. having me practice with her. So when you you definitely had me when you started talking about band because I was that that band guy. You know, yep. I told everybody in my high school it was you were either cool because you played sports or you were cool because you were in band. Mm. You know, mm. you know, and that was those those were the two extremes. It's like they didn't look at us as they knew we were the band geeks, and I took it. You know, we mm-hmm. all took oh, yeah. it. We were the ones singing and playing melodies around the band hall. And, you know, that that experience, I think, grows you so much as a person. Absolutely. Because you learn so many different nuances of who you are, what you can do, how you can play with words, emotions and feelings. And that all translates, especially I know for me and clearly for you, into the classroom now as educators and how we direct our students in that same type of vibe. So when I saw the title of your book, that automatically blew me away because i'm a big eric b rock Kim fan yes, sir. and uh <laughs> i tell people I'm, I'm i'm not a fan of hip-hop i am hip-hop i grew up oh you know, i grew it, up with this it. in your dna right right this is mm-hmm. the only this is my music you know yes, our music growing up as children you know um not my parents music but the one that i own and uh mm-hmm. when you when i saw that and i started listening to it and i i'm you know I have been having my order form up. It's been crazy here in Houston uh, with the weather, and we're right in the midst of state texting. But uh, I'm going to get the book, and that's going to be my summer PD that I'm going to spend my time reading and 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 going over and um, and really just kind of diving into how we're we're going to do that. But we're going to talk more about the book later. Okay. I don't <laughs> want to deviate. Uh cool, cool. But let's just go back to. Uh, when you were growing up, you said you were influenced by a teacher there mm-hmm. uh, to make that decision to make yourself more marketable, but how, who was your favorite teacher growing up, and can you describe their impact right now today?
3: Sure, because? sure. Um, one of the most standout teachers that I had was actually, um, it was two people. Um, when I, as a student at Hampton University, it was, first of all, it was my band director, Um, His name was mr. Barney E. smart and um, he's no longer with us now but the impact that he had on me um, at such a transitional and pivotal point in my life um, Was crazy because he was the type of leader. He he was old school um, But he he was relatable and he was like a father figure for me away from home if you will Um, and then also Somebody who stands out to me is one of my other college professors who at the time he was one of those guys where I just hated going to his class because His his level of Understanding of pedagogy and just things like that was just beyond my realm of comprehension as a 17 18 year old I I just but looking back on it now. I'm like he was an absolute genius And I I wish that I would have just had a little bit more focus at that age, Um, but really those two stick out to me the most. And I, when I got the opportunity to get into the classroom, I just hope that in some way I could in uh, my own unique way be that for my students, be somebody that they wanted to aspire not to be like, but to have a reason to keep coming to school to have a reason to keep growing and to, to really have a reason to enjoy learning,
1: genuinely. Yeah, yeah, and that's, you know, what you just stated, like, just connected with something inside because that's the reason that I, I spent three years as an instructional coach. Mm-hmm. And this is my first year coming back into the classroom. And what you just spoke of is what brought me into the classroom. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I needed that connection with everyday seeing kids, making a difference in why they want to, why they want to learn and why they want to yes. better themselves. And that's, I think that's a great space to be in for, for educators. And not mm-hmm. a lot of us are there. And, and let's just, you know, we can speak honestly that they're mm-hmm. not, a lot of us are not there. You know, it's not a craft to us. It's just something to do or, or step into another direction. It's not something that we really want to, you know, tone, hone in on, but that's an, that's for another episode. Uh, <laughs> So, uh and you spoke of your band director and I, like I say I connected with that my band director in high school was my mm-hmm. teacher, um, my, William Portis. Uh, both of us play trumpet, both of us play piano. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and he was old school, real yep. old school. I mean the kind of walk up on you, backhand you in your chest type of old school. <laughs> uh-huh, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. didn't back down from anybody, you know. Mm-hmm always dress sharp i remember that was one of the things that we loved about him we would mm-hmm. always say what's what kind of suit you gonna have on a day and you know he'd be out on the field he'll just roll his sleeves up and never take his tie off you know and yeah. it's like mm-hmm. man it's 100 degrees out here prof what are you doing you know that, a lot. But that was that that was him mm-hmm. you know and um maybe put his hat on just to kind of keep the sun away but but it's like i said something about when you have those experiences with educators as a young person it really sparks something and it's love to hear that that's your, your spark to go into education from an educator, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and found it to be what you really love to do. And I think that we have to do that more as educators, especially as black male educators, to True. spark that in others so that we don't just kind of go extinct in our profession and our craft.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I think the latest statistics black males in education represent maybe 2%, two percent it's, to it's somewhere around one to three percent it's no yeah. more than that wow it's crazy
2: but then right but african-american students make up something like in
3: the 30 it's like 30 percent right all, all total somewhere around there but when you get into urban and suburban areas it's, oh, it's upwards no. of depending 60 to 90 percent wow and, and above um, so, yeah, and, and that's one of the things that really I focus on in my book is because there's, see, I'll start it. I'll say this. A lot of times some people feel that just because a person is black that they'll have a easier time reaching black students. And that's not always true. Um, as someone who went into the classroom and had a rude awakening. Um, I can tell you firsthand that that's not true. There was a lot that I had to learn about myself. There was a lot I had to learn about my students. But it was easier for me to recognize those things because we, we shared a lot of similar cultural experiences. But I kind of came in there with an education privilege. And looking in hindsight, I recognize that now as an adult. But I had certain biases that I had as a young educator that I had to peel back the layers of my power paradigm to shift and expose them to help me grow as an educator to be able to reach my students. But then I also feel at the same time that some just, it's kind of like the opposite. Sometimes people feel because you, the, the proverbial you are a white educator or you are not the same culturally, um, you're not the same ethnicity as your students that you're gonna have a more difficult time and, or you can't reach those students and that's not true. And right. so that one of the things that I really talk about in my book is, is ways to build relationships with students and to be able to really understand the cultural learning tools that students bring into the classroom and to take advantage of those to help them learn. Oh. Hmm. Yeah,
2: I mean, and, and you said, you know, even you had a rude awakening. I, just a side question Do you think there's any teacher that goes into a classroom that doesn't, to some extent, get a rude awakening when they get there?
3: Oh, no. Uh-huh. Every, every, listen here, Mike Tyson said it best everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. <laughs> and I, 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 I think that, that happens. I, I see it teaching at the college level right now. I, I work every day with students who are either in the classroom or aspiring teachers. And a lot of my students that have had experience. They they say, you know, Doctor Wade says nothing like what I thought. To me, it's nothing. It's nothing like what I thought it was. You have these dreams of this classroom with all these posters and frills and things like that, and all the kids. Good
1: morning, (laughs) Mister.
3: Listen here, it's it's an uphill battle depending on where you're going. Um, And I I had a lot of preconceived notions, and so going into my first teaching assignment. I I, ha- I was fed the narrative about those kids and oh. about this type of school. And so I, from day one, I was determined that you're not I'm not going to be the one. I'm going to shut this down day one. And so I came in there, Joe Clark, day one, um, and shut it all down. But what I realized is that I created a very cold and disconnected learning environment from which there wasn't a lot of learning happening. It was more fear. And that was a very pivotal growing moment for me in the sense that I got a phone call one day from one of my students' parents saying that she was scared to come in my classroom. And that was eye-opening to me like nothing else. That was probably one of the top five pivotal moments in my career just as an adult. And there were a lot of changes that I had to make, but it was it, it just kind of let me step back and realized that this is not what I thought it was. And I had to make some changes. Like I made some changes that day and I vowed never ever to have put my students in a position where they are going to fear me. Um, you know, that was just something that I I can't I can't have happen. What I want my child to be in a classroom when they're scared of their teacher.
1: Right. And, you know, you said something because I was just speaking with a colleague today and I said, you know, As I walk, I'm the teacher that on my off period, I like to go spy on other teachers and just see what other good teaching is going on, you know. Mm -hmm. And I see a lot of compliance from students, but not a lot of collaboration, not a lot of conversation about. um, I, I think rigor requires a little messiness. That does and I think Absolutely. it's it's confusing to think that just because you're sitting all in rows and you're all looking like you're doing what you're supposed to do that everybody's getting what they're supposed to get yep uh, no one's exposed because there's no conversation there's no dialogue so it, it's hidden you don't mm. find out about it until you get ready to do an assessment or something like that and and we were just having the conversation is that how do teachers find that comfortable medium between getting students to comply and Opening up students and allowing them to have that kind of flourishing, you know, that that ability to flourish and I think that's That we they don't know where where do we find that?
3: It's it starts with Understanding that how You teach and the model that you use may not be the best model a lot of people teach the way that they were taught Mm -hmm. We sat in those rows you know we got our homework assignments and we turned them in you know we raised our hand we had a question and you know we just sat and listened to the lectures that were happening in school and that is what a lot of teachers bring into the classroom now and you're, you're right you're not taking that opportunity to assess what is happening in real time you're not taking and you're not getting that data until it's too late the the you know Making data-driven decisions is all fine and good when you're actually able to use that data to make changes When you waited until the end of that term or the end of that topic To get that data and measure it But cannot go back and make changes because you have to move on to the next topic. It's moot. It does nothing and it really requires us to kind of shift our thinking a little bit and understanding like you said It's a little bit messy. There's okay. It is okay to have a noisy classroom that controlled Chaos if you will where you know, we might be in our groups, So we might have our centers and our activities and there's that that low rumble of learning Happening right there. Nobody said, you know, the kids are swinging off chandeliers They're just they're talking they're conversing and they're collaborating with one another because really if you look at the brain science behind a lot of it That's how we learn we learn through our interactions with our peers. We learn through making sense of the world the way we know it and the way that those around us know it and are able to kind of communicate that information talk receive that information and process it a lot better mm. right and you know, to
2: follow back to what you said about you know the point of it you know it being messy or like having a rude awakening mm-hmm. From your perspective now, as someone who is preparing teachers, do you think the system sort of is setting teachers up for that? Because I, you know, like, like you said, I, I was so vastly underprepared to go from Wisconsin to Houston. Yeah. But as, as an organized chaos, or I guess maybe not the system, but like that mentality of this is the way we've always done it, because Mm -hmm. I was very much an organized chaos person.
3: Mm -hmm. But I was
2: so often told that that was wrong. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So -hmm. I'm sorry.
2: Go ahead. But but just I'm interested from your perspective, maybe more generally on on how you see overall that we're preparing our teachers now to go in. I mean, because you see what it's like, you know, what success looks like. Mm -hmm. And I guess maybe the better question is, you know, why is the stuff that we know
3: it works not being translated to our newer teachers? Because everybody doesn't believe in it. Um, And and here's the honest truth. Everybody doesn't have to believe in it, because here's what happens If, if you look at a lot of the research as far as cultural learning styles. And you go back into two broad categories. You talk about Caucasian students versus students of color and you look at their historical backgrounds, and it really boils down to individualist versus collectivist types of societies. And a lot of students of color come from those collectivist societies where it's in our DNA to be communal. It is in our DNA for storytelling. That's how we process information. That goes back to what I mentioned about the conversation and the collaboration and creating a narrative around how information is processed versus individualistic societies where things are more so processed on their own. And it's, it's a lot easier for somebody who has that type of cultural learning frame to do traditional quote-unquote education. Think about when, think about a lot of the practices that we have in education now and where they stem from And The type of population and what it looked like it's it's set to cater to the population at that time and a lot hasn't changed And for a lot of this country, it doesn't need to because they don't have they might not have large populations of color Which is perfectly fine when those instances where you do have large populations of color and large uh, you know students who just that type of learning in that traditional style just doesn't work in the data. You can look at data that tells you clear as data. It doesn't. But in those instances, it goes against tradition and therefore something must be wrong with it. And I'm speaking extremely generally here. Um, but I personally think that that's what it is. And if you look at a lot of the research, it kind of supports that. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it, it's just something that, you know, on the broader scale of what, We, you know, we being Will and I are trying to do, you know, the better we prepare teachers, you know, that's where society will start to shift in, in the right direction and and doing those things. And as someone who, I mean, it took me probably four years in Houston Mm -hmm. to even start to be able to understand, um, you know what my kids need and it was not until like we started really getting after our podcast that I really started learning about cultural yeah culturally responsive teaching and implicit bias and yeah. and privilege and all those things and I just we were last November we did a a conference in San Antonio and I was in Houston and we happened to drive right by my old school. Mm-hmm. I just had this overwhelming feeling of like if I could go back and start now with what mm-hmm. I know. Yeah. How much different would that experience have been and how much better would I have served those kids? And I, and I just, I guess I just kind of wonder how you can give teachers going into the profession a a better reality of what it's really like. Cause I, I think part of why so many teachers leave is cause like you said, it doesn't meet their expectation. You know, it doesn't meet their expectations of what they've envisioned their, this yeah. perfect teacher life to be. And I, and I think a lot of them are, you know, and granted, I, there were times in my career where I was rattled. Like I was like, "Man, this is not at all what I expected." But mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of people that get rattled and
3: and just jet, and they're like, "I'm I'm done with this." Absolutely. And it's just if if you look at a lot of teacher preparation programs, the curriculum encompasses you know, of course, you have your content disciplines, but when you look at the practical side of teaching of it, first of all, a lot of times classroom management isn't taught. Um, I teach it now, but I think the school that I teach, the school where I teach, it's one of, I think the data, less than 15% of schools actually teach a course for teacher preparation on classroom management. That right there, you set people up for failure. You have, you know, your educational theory, you have your psychology, you have your fundamentals of diversity where you're learning about special education, you know, interventions and things like that. But None of that really speaks to pedagogy, in my opinion, and how you need to be prepared for different types of learners. It's it's really just budding in the teacher preparation conversation, which is why I'm so focused now when I work with schools of yes, you you may understand, you know, BF Skinner, you may understand Alfie Khan or Harry Wong, but do you understand that your students learn in this manner based on their Cultural learning styles and how they view the world. You know, what what adjusts? how does your instruction fit into this student's Interpretation of what's happening in his or her community And it's when we start to have that conversation and when that conversation starts to become more of a regular in teacher mm-hmm. preparation I think it will help with what you mentioned there mm.
1: Absolutely, and um, <clears throat> Yeah, we kind of got got away from the questions, but that's okay and I, I, I love <laughs> That's what I love about, it. you know, when we started our podcast, we, we said we wanted to, it was just he and I having a conversation mm-hmm. about education. And then slowly after a couple of episodes, he said, hey, man, we need to start inviting other great educators from around this country in and having the same conversation because our goal is to reach every educator. Every mm-hmm. child deserves to have every one of their teachers to be that teacher that Absolutely. changed their life. And that only starts when teachers start really having conversations with each other about What are some of the things that are working with you? What are some of the things that are going on? So I want to divert to the question of what is one thing you believe that all students should learn?
3: About themselves. Mm. And what I mean by that is I, um, I I was speaking just yesterday um, with kind of one of my mentors. He's an OG in education game. His name is principal Barudi Kafele. Yeah. And, um, he and I were, were speaking and it, it, it just instantly brings me back to this. He was that type of kid in the classroom where he was just there because his mom made him go. And it wasn't until he got into college and he, he told this story about how he just, he, he had something was in him. It was there. He just happened to be, he was determined to do something. And not you know what? Just happened to be walking in the library one day. And in between the stacks, and there was a book protruding, and he grabs the book by its spine and pulls it out and starts reading it. And it was a book, and I, I, the title is leaving me right now at this moment, but it was a book talking about um, African uh, American, not African American history, but like kind of African culture and how it relates to his character and his understanding about his self and his history. And he talked about how he was always fed this narrative. Actually, I I take it back. He was never fed the narrative about him. He just felt like he was existing amongst other people. Um, And it's kind of similar in that when a student begins to understand where he or she comes from and that people before him or her did certain things that they weren't just and this just varies from neighborhood, to neighborhood and neighborhood and community to community But when you, all you see is people, let's just say if you're in the hood All you see is just, you know, people walking around or just going to work stressed out or you might see let, let's keep it 100 You might see some people on drugs. You might see crime and things like that. That's all, you know not having an understanding of even outside of that even before Africans were brought to this country. There were great dynasties that existed, not understanding that about yourself. And it and leaves students of sometimes of color without a lack of their own power and understanding what and who they are and where they come from. You know, we're, we're not taught that and we're not exposed to that Even even during like Black History Month, let's just say. A lot of it starts with Dr. Martin Luther King Harriet mm-hmm. Tubman, it it you know, which is all good, but that narrative says struggle. Mm-hmm. It says struggle, and that's all we begin to learn about ourselves. And so, it at a subconscious level, it's almost like, okay, I'm I'm meant to struggle, and and that's you know, I'm I'm resilient. Okay, yeah, but all I do is struggle. But we have no idea, no concept of that flourish, of that thrive. Does that make all sense? Right. So I I think one of the most empowering things that you can do for students is teach them, you know, students of color or not, teach them about themselves so that they have that internal efficacy. And when they meet those challenges, whether academically, whether socially, whether emotionally, they know that it is already within them to overcome. Wow.
1: Wow. That hands down, probably best answer I've heard. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that, that resonates about themselves. And, you know, it's funny you say that because oh, this summer we went to, my wife and I went to Mexico, and we went on a tour of mm-hmm. the, the, um, the ruins. Okay. And um, it was in, uh, I can't think of the name of Tulum. it. Tulum. In okay. Tulum. Okay. So they were telling us the history of the people who lived there. And even though it was deserted, it left, you know, left like it was. You can see structurally they were they were brilliant people mm-hmm, who put mm-hmm. this stuff together. And as they were talking, I brought that knowledge back into my classroom. And as I'm having a conversation, my school is about I say it's 47, 47 with sprinkles. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we you know, the African-American to Hispanic, it's about 40, 50, 50. But then we have sprinkles of everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a suburban urban area. 47,
3: 47 with Sprinkles. Uh, I I like
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sprinkles. It's really diverse. I mean, it's probably one of the most diverse campuses. um, Well, the perfectly split campuses in our district. Um, Mm -hmm. And so as I'm talking with the kids about what I learned about this culture that I didn't know anything about, Mm -hmm. that was a kid in my class who raised their hand and said, that was my people Mm -hmm. and began to share the story. And when they did that, I kind of stood back and was like, Wow, that that gave that student a voice. My experience gave that student a voice to where now other kids know that okay, your people are the people who built these ruins in Tulum. Yeah. And yeah. when you know when they were able to bring back that information and say, yeah, you know, you know, parents emailing you know, thank you for talking to my kids about this. You know, no teacher's ever touched on that. And I think wow. about you know, we think of cultural diversity, saying hang a flag or do this, and I believe it's just about the conversations that you have that frees children to, yep. to talk about it and understand that it's okay to, to, to know something, to be different mm-hmm. and to embrace your differences. You know, several of my students who are from Africa who bring in that experience when we're talking about certain things, they're like, "Miss Law, you pronounced that wrong. It's it's an African dish. This is how you say it. And I'm like, well, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. You know, yeah. bring yeah. that, you know, because again, it gives them a voice on something that no one else knows and makes them unique. Yeah, it and does. That's, that's what makes the seed different from every other seed. It's like, you don't know. Everyone is different. And just, man, thank you for that Jim. right there. I appreciate that.
3: And No problem, man. I know that had to be a magical experience for you, man. I, I, when you have those kind of those moments in the classroom, it's just like, man, like that was powerful. And, and even with what you tried to do to verbalize that experience, I, I don't even think you nor I nor you. Understand the breadth of what that did for that student in that moment. Like it's probably something that we can't even begin to understand.
0: Thanks for checking out this uh, episode part one with Dr. Sean Woodley. We'll be back next Sunday to drop the second part of this episode. Um, but as always, we thank you for tuning in to Value that's Value. We truly appreciate it. If you want to connect with Dr. Woodley, teach Hustle Inspire. On social media and online want to connect with us add value adds value
1: so a few weeks left keep grinding keep shining we'll talk soon